An echo from some ancient stone age is the work of Ed Leedscallon, a 120-pound superman. Using but the most primitive of tools, he handles huge 15-ton pieces of coral rock with the greatest of ease. This is his life work, building a great stone city that he hopes will stand for thousands of years. He works as the ancient Egyptians did when they built the pyramids. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's America show. We'll be playing our interview with Joe Bullard a little bit later. Um, but first, how's it going tonight, Graham? Good, Mr. Grimes. How are you doing? Good. Glad to be uh, back in the saddle. Back in the studio. We've got the studio all set up again. Yeah, after our, uh, Enter the mushroom. our satellite studio we had over at an, our undisclosed location over the weekend. Basement satellite studio. Yep, so... It worked out good, though. No uh, feds. That was for our show we're going to call Grimericus Psilocybus, Enter the Mushroom. Yeah, that'll come out uh, tough to say. It's going to be an interesting edit. So it could be as much as a week or two, but it will be coming. So keep an eye out for that. It should be pretty interesting episode, to say the least. Yeah, that was uh, lots of fun. I had my, my face was hurting from smiling and, and laughing so much. Yeah, it was a pretty good time. I uh, It was pretty good. i definitely consider doing it again, perhaps. Um, I had a, had a pretty good time. There was really no negativity to it whatsoever. Even though there was sober people in the room, which was pretty cool. And sober people online from all over the world, which was cool. Yeah, it was a good, good time, but I don't think we want to get into it too, too much. We'll have uh, a whole episode kind of dedicated to it coming out in the next week or two. Cool. So, uh, are you going to come with me to Greg Braden on Friday night? Um, well, I'll have to see. <laughs> okay. So Greg Braden's in town and actually I'm, I'm kind of a fan. He's, uh, he's one of these guys trying to bridge science and spirituality. So can I read a little description of the program? Cause now that I'm, now that we do this podcast, I feel like anytime I do something like this, I'm kind of like, I should be taking notes or actually paying attention to actually talk about it afterwards. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so this program is an in-depth wake-up call to the unsustainable systems of everyday life. It's also a vehicle to identify the discoveries and solutions that give new meaning and new hope for the positive new world that is emerging before our eyes. How's that for? What's yeah. that like? He's uh, like consciousness or ascension or. Uh, yeah, like a consciousness future. He's a futurist. Like kind of, yeah, a bit of uh, spirituality, a bit of science in there. Right on. Uh, I'll have to work Saturday and then I have a uh, birthday dinner. Well, there's a whole Saturday day program too. So, but it starts Friday night and then it goes all day Saturday. So I don't know if I'm going to do Saturday yet. Anyways, I'll go for the whole shebang. No, pretty busy right now. Getting ready for Paradigm. Yeah, Paradigm. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like I'll be attending this year. That sucks. Yeah, oh, well, it is what it is. Family comes first. Uh, my wife, there's a chance she could come early. 
at this point. So I can't uh, risk going to Minnesota and, and not being there when, when something, if something happens. Yeah. When I say that sucks, I totally understand. It's just, uh, you know, um, wish you could be there, buddy. Yeah, it's okay. You'll still be there. So you can say hi to the gang and maybe you can come to the UFO Congress in February with me instead. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> always an option. Then I could go golfing as well like minneapolis is cool too like paradigm's great don't get me wrong but uh, it's kind of n- not real warm there it's not that bad no but it's not like it's way cooler if you can if you're gonna fly to the states if you go to phoenix where it's hot yeah yeah true that um but that's yeah like i say you'll be there rpj will be there uh, we might still be able to do a little bit of recording um with me here so um Next year, yeah, maybe UFO Congress, so who knows? I won't rule it out yet. Right on. Yeah, maybe we can do some little mini podcasts or interviews or something, or I'll have Red Pill Junkie there. Uh, I'm staying in the same hotel, I think, so uh, we'll, we'll get together for a couple of recordings maybe. Yeah. Not, uh, not promising get, anything, though. Yeah, try and get John Ward or whoever you can, rope him up there and get a few minutes out of him. Yeah, for sure. Slip some truth serum into their drink. <laughs> I like ecstasy. <laughs> So you know what I want to get before I go? Rufalin. A new mic. A new mic? The Yeti? Yeah, the Yeti. Yeah. Yeti. I'm going to get it through Amazon. I'm going to go to grimerica.ca and uh, get it through Amazon. It's actually cheaper than locally here anyway, so. Yeah, and I think they do one-day delivery too. So, yeah, and uh, well, I think pretty well fucking everyone uses Amazon already. But if you're going to use Amazon, you might as well go through grimerica.ca, uh, click on the link, and anything you choose to purchase within the next 24 hours, uh, we get a, a couple percent, I think. So, And we get credit so we can use it for buying books or all sorts of things. I think last week we uh, introduced the 55 gallons of lube, now available on the America website. So what would you buy this week? This week I am looking at the infant circumcision trainer. <laughs> <laughs> so, Does it come with infants? No, it's fifty-seven <laughs> bucks. Oh my god! Um, it comes with a package of ten little mini penis replicas, all different shapes. <laughs> no, they they all look pretty much the same. And you basically, it's for practicing cutting off foreskin before. So you could basically. Well, why would you have them all the same if if you're gonna practice cutting foreskin off a? little penis you think you want all different styles in case you come across one that looks really weird right like what if you train with the same one and then you get this really weird one you can even get the little miniature baby uh like torso to practice on (laughs) so i guess yeah they're promoting at home circumcisions they're gonna put these moils out of business is it a moil i have no idea what you're talking about moils the dude who uh circumcises you hmm. it's called a moil or some people go to the doctor but i think traditionally it's a moil so i wonder if this is like moils are their business or if this is more targeted to just someone who wants to do their own circumcision no it's not do it at home like do it at home kit it's a practice kit not for parents i don't think let's hope not Oh boy. Okay, let's get off that. So anyways, you can get lots of weird shit at Amazon. So please, if you're going to find something weird, 
look for it and hit it, hit the Grimerica button and see how many pennies we can get here. Inflatable party sheep. <laughs> party sheep. <laughs> yeah, 18 bucks. Only it's a two, sheep? Only two left in stock. Maybe we should save that for Jared. Jared? In New Zealand? Isn't there a big thing with sheeps in New Zealand? I don't know. <laughs> or is that Australia? I get them mixed up. I don't know. We'd have to ask Jared if uh, <laughs> if sheeps are a big thing down there. And if they are, by all means, maybe we'll send them an inflatable sheep. I don't know if they deliver to New Zealand, but hey. Okay, here, I'll prove it to you. Sheep jokes in Wikipedia, right, for New Zealand? Okay. Okay, this is a book of knowledge here. So there are a large number of mainly crude sheep jokes. As befitting the ta trans-Tasman rivalry, Aussies tell jokes about New Zealanders, and New Zealanders tell them about Australians. In the UK, on the other hand, sheep jokes are usually reserved for the Welsh. While other people make jokes about New Zealanders and sheep, New Zealanders themselves are not adverse to a bit of sheep humor. <laughs> so there you go. Well, looky that. And we also wanted to mention Audible.com. Kind of sponsors the show. If you, uh, if you want to get anything on audio from Audible, go to grimerica.ca and click on Audible. Can you do that? Or do you have to do the Audible trial? Uh, I'm not sure. There might still be a button on the website, actually. But either way, you can also just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Grimerica. I've got three credits there already. I just can't keep up on the audio even right now. But um, I just looked up Greg Braden because I'm going to see him on Friday. And there's uh, lots of stuff on there. Greg Braden Audio Collection, The Divine Matrix, which I've read already, um, Deep Truth, Spontaneous Healing of Belief. So all kinds of good stuff on Audible, more than books, lectures, all kinds of uh, crazy stuff. So I suppose I don't think we have too much more. We'll probably be releasing another episode pretty quick. Uh, yeah. The balls tripping episode. Yeah, and then we have another one coming up uh, with Karen Hudez, a World Bank um, whistleblower. Yeah, and then Rob Sullivan, and then uh, we'll probably have a couple little Paradigm things the week after Paradigm or so. Yeah, and and right now we've got uh, Joe Bullard coming up. Yeah, he's the Coral Castle guy, Ed Leedsklin, uh, one of the guys. He wrote a book, uh, kind of a novel form about the life and life of Ed Leedsklin and the building of Coral Castle. I've got, I was searching it a little bit, uh, and I found this pretty cool YouTube clip of a, a rare tour um, given by this guy in Boston. It's actually kind of funny, but there's some pretty cool uh, parts of it. You want to, I'm going to play this here. here what what is talking? this? Is that the free energy machine? That's the thing. Yeah. That is the free energy yeah. machine. If you want a good way, if you want to, how technical are you? I'm not. I'm oh, not. Okay. I'm not, but I'm well aware. I just yeah. don't know how to to do it you know what i mean this guy was whoever he got well i kind of know while we're discussing i'm in a group that's these are all magnets they're, they're magnets the there's quite a few missing parts and these two motors are part of it also well i'm now, noticing the tour, tour guide is telling the exact wrong history. yeah he's yeah his job is to tell everybody these don't learn, don't try this it's yeah. not real well that that if people knew what that was that, i mean this There'd be lines of people 10 miles long. You bet. I mean, that, that, I thought that was here. Yeah. I drove a long way to see yeah. this, and I thought that's what I was going to find. So this guy from Boston bumps in a kind of like a scientist there, and they're looking at the free energy machine. It's kind of cool. We'll be talking to Joe Bullard lots more about that. 
Yeah, no doubt. And then uh, maybe uh, this winter, well, I'll build my free energy machine. <laughs> so that's a rare coral castle tour on, on YouTube. So Yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's about it. Guys, enjoy the... Uh, we'll take a quick break and enjoy the interview with Mr. Joe Bullard. us tonight here on the Grand America show we're going to be chatting with author Joe Bullard um, author of Waiting for Agnes uh, it's about, inspired by the true story of Coral Castle and it's uh, well, well we'll explain what Coral Castle is in a minute here first uh, how's it going tonight Graham? Hey, I'm doing good Darren yeah happy to be here so uh, Joe Bullard he was uh, born in 51 he attended the University of West Florida and graduated with a bachelor's degree in journalism in 74. And he found out about the Coral Castle on TV, uh, watching a show called In Search Of in 84. And then uh, he was working at Lake City Community College as public information director and professor, uh, professor of a newspaper class. And then Joe spent 16 years speaking to witnesses and researching the life of Ed Lead Skelman. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. We'll have to Perfect. check. <laughs> Joe's, been fe- Thanks. Joe's been featured as a guest on uh, several national radio programs, and he's narrated a short award-winning documentary video about Coral Castle. We've heard him on shows like Coast to Coast and Dreamland. And Joe spent years re- of research at Coral Castle and started writing the book that Darren mentioned there, Waiting for Agnes, in February 95. It took years to get that story on paper and almost four years to publish it. So, uh, yeah, it's great to have you here, Joe. Welcome to Grimerica. Darren and Graham, thank you so much. Um, it is a pleasure to be uh, speaking to my Canadian friends. Um, as I was telling <laughs> you guys earlier, I have so much respect for uh, the Canadian um, um people there because uh, they support me there and uh i used to do a show in um called the x zone with rob mcconnell and uh because of ed's experience he spent four years in canada uh i just feel like a connection to that canadian brotherhood and uh we guys were talking about accents and stuff and you guys don't have an accent and i do and all my (laughs) canadian friends always say yeah there comes that hillbilly bullard so um we have a great fun and um, i've been to canada several times uh, up in the Toronto area, and uh, I think I've got some uh, relatives up in there somewhere, and uh, I always have a lot of fun, so Canada's a great place for me. Happy to be here tonight. 
great yeah. to tell you about the Coral Castle story. It is a fantastic story. So we're going to get in it tonight. And uh, like I was telling you guys earlier, I'm, you guys are too young to remember the Twilight Zone with Rod Serling, but uh, this is this is my kind of stuff. Weird and crazy. Yeah, I I seen a few Twilight Zones. Oh yeah, a few of those really creeped me out when I was younger. <laughs> I remember when I was real young, even the like opening scene would creep me out. Oh, that's the Where music. That, like, and si- yeah, and the side of that mountain thing. And I, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that was our Star Trek in those days. You know, I mean, 50s. I mean, I was 57. I was uh, eight, seven, eight years old. And uh, we didn't have, you know, anything like the Twilight Zone. So, um, and that's when I first got to Coral Castle, guys, let me tell you, I could see Rod Serling standing out there. If he had known about Coral Castle, there's no doubt in my mind, one of the. Uh, uh, the Twilight Zone features would have been on Ed because Ed was such, I mean, the Coral Castle is such a bizarre place, and yet it's real. I mean, it's all true, done by one man that we're going to get into tonight. Yeah, I noticed Graham said in the intro that uh, you were born in 51. I think that it's pretty ironic uh, coincidence that I believe that's the year Ed died. Oh, God, you, you guys have really done your homework. Mm-hmm. I used to tell people, Ed was going out, I was coming in. I wonder if he didn't. <laughs> Pass me, by the way, and say, oh, Joe, by the way, spend about 16 years on my my life and uh, write my story. That That is amazing you picked that up. Yep. Do you believe yeah. in reincarnation? Or? Uh, did he believe in it? <laughs> Do you? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> no. Uh, I'll tell you a story, though. Um, Ed was, and, and I'll tell you what got me off on that. Um, one time I was watching a show where, um, they were they were trying to trace back the ancestors to Billy the Kid, and they had a guy who was 100 years later who was part of his family. They showed a picture, and he looked exactly like Billy the Kid, that blood. And actually, as you read my book, um, Ed was toying with the Edgar Casey prophecies with those things, and he came to believe that we don't really have to have reincarnation because with DNA blood, if you go back and look uh, and trace things back, that blood Whoever your ancestors were a thousand years ago, you can come out and look the exact same, have the same composure, everything. So um, he kind of, and there's there's an interesting part in the book where they talk about cryptoamnesia, which is um, a theory that um, a person who doesn't have reincarnation actually has read these things. And I think it happened to Ed. Actually, he had a psychiatrist interview him one time and who believed he could have been affected by cryptoamnesia. And what it means is when you've had a um, traumatic experience, you've lost your girlfriend, somebody gets killed in a car wreck, you kind of go into your own little world, and you read books and all these things, and you actually believe the things that are in the books or whatever because you're trying to get out of that traumatic experience. And the way you do that is by putting yourself into those books. In other words, someone could come to you and say, well, Bram or Darren, you were actually in the Civil War and this and this and that. And actually, you had read, read those Civil War books so much that you could actually describe the battlefield and all that. Hmm. So uh, the interesting part about Ed's character was um, he didn't believe so much in reincarnation, although he read all the Casey prophecies. And that's where he got um, – he was fascinated with Atlantis. Um, he read Atlantis, Atlantis, the Diluvian World, um, by one of the 1,800 authors, and he was fascinated. When he came to Florida, uh, he actually kind of started looking out over the ocean and stuff and wondering because Casey said that Atlantis existed off the coast of Florida at Bimini, and he actually felt like um, Atlantis existed out there. And several times he had taken boat trips and you know thought he saw different forms and that kind of stuff. So. 
Um, that's a long way from Coral Castle, but those were just some of his theories. Hmm. So he, when did he arrive in Florida? Okay. Um, the story actually begins in Latvia in 1912. And I thought this was interesting also, and, and he kind of made a comment one time. You know, you were saying that I was born in 51, and he died in 51. Well, the Titanic sank in 1912. Ed was in Latvia at that time. Hmm. Uh, he was growing up there. His grandfather uh, actually had a tombstone business at that time. Now, Ed was sickly as a child. His um, his, he kind of had like asthma symptoms, and he never did really develop. He was only like five foot one, never weighed more than 95 pounds. And as a child, he really couldn't make it to school that much, and he quit school at about fourth grade because he was just bored, and plus he was sick half the time, so he spent a lot of time with his grandfather. Now, his grandfather, from what I understand, was kind of like one of those um, Seabees who went out and uh, would get on different ships and work the ships and traveled all over, went into the Mayan ruins in Central America, and he was kind of an adventurous. And this is where Ed got his knowledge of the Mayans, and um, I really believe that his grandfather probably picked up some prophecies or some books uh, on that, that that intrigued Ed, and his grandfather would tell him stories as a child. Well, they actually built a castle there in Latvia out of cast-off tombstones because they were so poor at the time. They, they couldn't build a house, so they built it out of these cast-off tombstones. So Ed said, you might be in the dining room or something, look up and uh, see um, Bram died here at 1895. <laughs> and you know, he said it was a weird experience, but you know, he, he was glad to have a roof over his head. So um, the, the story actually begins when Ed is 26. Um, now, he's never really dated that much because he was sickly as a child, didn't, didn't really socialize with other children. Well, one day in the... Um, in the tombstone business, he and his grandfather were there, and a lady and a young girl came in. They were actually looking for a tombstone for their cousin who had gotten killed, and Ed was just smitten by this young girl. Her name was Agnes Scuffs. She was 16 years old at the time. Now, Ed was 26, so there was 10 years difference in their age. But after they left the uh, tombstone shop, he looked at his grandfather, and he said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. His grandfather said, God, you never even dated you. <laughs> you, you, you. That's the girl you're going to marry. You don't even know her. She's just a child. And he said, well, that's okay. I'll, I'll find out. So long story short, Ed courts her, finds out where she lives, starts dating her. And at the time, of course, he was 10 years older. And those days now, that was 19 to 12. Yeah, so people got married at, you know, 17, 14. It, it was a different era then. Mm -hmm. So um, after dating a while, um, he, he asked her to marry him, and, and she agreed. Now, later on, we find out that I don't believe Agnes's mother ever really liked Ed because she saw him still as a poor. They, they weren't making a lot of money in the tombstone business. They were doing okay, but she wanted Agnes uh, to marry a rich man, so there was always a friction and controversy there. Well, the night before the wedding, so the story goes, Agnes jilts him. She doesn't really give him a reason why. In fact, she sends her cousin over to Ed's tombstone castle. Now, can you can imagine this. Her cousin was um, a short guy like Ed. He was small. And he had gotten kicked in the head. He was a jockey at one time. He'd gotten kicked in the head by a horse, and he wasn't quite all there. And so he came riding up to Ed's castle at night on one of those yak-looking things. It was a Russian some kind of cow, and they, I think they call them yaks. They mm -hmm. have that long hair, kind of like a bison. 
And uh, so he knocked on the door, and well, Ed was upstairs with his grandfather. They were getting, they were looking over the honeymoon plans. Ed was actually planning on coming to Florida for their honeymoon. So the the um, it, Agnes's cousin knocks on the door and says, "I need to speak with Ed." Well, he comes downstairs, and the, the young man's name was Eldar. And so Eldar just handed Ed this letter, and he said, uh, Ed, I'm real sorry. I, I liked you. He said, but Agnes can't marry you. Well, Ed kind of opens the letter and kind of reads it in the moonlight there, and it doesn't say a whole lot. It just says, Ed, forgive me, um, but at this time I, I can't marry you. Um, I've got to go. Well, he asked Eldar, you know, I, I don't accept that. Why can't she tell me in person? And he said, I, I don't know, Ed, but I have to go. So he trails off. Well, Ed is heartbroken. He can't get over this. He can't stay in Latvia. So there's a friend of his there who has a ship, and he's getting ready to uh, to come to Canada from Latvia, and he's going to be carrying sardines and all these kind of things. So Ed hops a ride onto this ship from Latvia, heads to Canada, and lands there. He gets a job at a lumber mill. Now, this was about... Um, Shortly after that, that happened, 1912, so this would have been 1913, 1914, something like that. So he works in Canada then um, in these lumber mills, just, just trying to survive. He has to get out of Latvia. He's just um, heartbroken still. Well, about 1916, I believe it was, he, now this, this is something that I can't prove. There's a lot of theories. A lot of people say that he left Latvia because a czar was there after him, and Ed was actually a secret agent policeman, and the czar um, found out that he was doing some unscrupulous things, and he left Latvia. So there's a lot of those kind of theories. <laughs> I've never actually been able to prove that. But, um, and I can't prove the story that Ed went to fight in World War One, but he told the story that um, he had a cousin in Germany. And at this time, you have to remember, Ed didn't care about living or dying. He said, you know, I've lost the girl I love. I've lost my country. I'm basically surviving. Hey, I'll go to war. I don't care. His cousin from Germany talked him into fighting for Germany. Well, in that time, um, he said he was in the trenches one night. When a young man jumped in the trench, there was some bombs going off and everything. And he said later on, he learned that it was Adolf Hitler. Wow. And they, yeah, they had a brief conversation. And he said it was a strange conversation. Uh, he'd never expected the things that they talked about. And later on, the guy jumped out of the trench. And um, years later, you know, Ed recognized him in the um, as he became famous in Germany. And this actually... I actually use a lot of this in my book because um, it, it, to me, was fascinating that that he he had such an interesting life, and he came out of World War One. He was actually injured and um, jumped on a boat. I think went to France and then then came back over here. And that's when he he came back to Canada, and he decided that um, he was going to finish his honeymoon trip to Florida. Well, now at this time, he developed. Uh, tuberculosis. This was not. This was the year 1918. When 1918, when you got tuberculosis, um, that was the death plague. I mean, there was no cure, and he had it so bad that that there was no way they they couldn't believe that he actually walked from Canada uh, to Florida. Now, there's two different theories. Some people say that he walked and came through uh, New York, while other people say no, he walked and came through Oregon. Um, and then he came through Texas and California on his way to Florida. 
but I have talked to some people, some some relatives, older people who saw him actually walking through Jacksonville, Florida. So I know that that he did make his way. And what's so amazing, if you can imagine this, here's this little guy, five foot one, ninety five pounds, with tuberculosis. And here's the thing. Um, would would people know what I'm talking about if I say a witching rod or a way to douse? Uh, Ed was a dowser yeah. of water. Yeah. And a witching rod, you know, you cut a Y-shaped strapling oak tree limb, and when you hold it out there like a fishing rod, when it hits water, it will the, the, the tip of it will go down when it finds the water. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. 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 Yeah. Okay. So you can imagine this little guy walking along the road with this dowsing rod. And this one, one person in Jacksonville told me, he said, I got so intrigued by him. He said, I, I pulled over and um, asked him, sir, what are you doing? And he said, Ed looked at me real strange and just said, when I find it, I'll know it. Hmm. And he just kept walking. And the reason the guy said he knew it was Ed was because years later when Ed got famous at Coral Castle and his picture was in the paper, the guy in Jacksonville recognized it as being Ed. So we say, well, what was he looking for that time? Well, what we believe he was looking for was what we call a magnetic ley line. And what that is, is imagine um, a wire to your lamp or whatever. That's what charges your electricity. You have to plug it in and you turn your lamp on and that's where you get your electricity. Well, this underground magnetic ley line is a natural, uh, Ed would call it magnetic line, not electric line, where it was a power source. And if you knew the way, you could tap into that power source, and it was really an anti-gravity source. And uh, so he was looking for that magnetic ley line. And um, as he's coming along walking, he makes it into Florida. Well, about the time he comes into Florida City, which is north, I think it's north or south of Homestead, he's very tired. Of course, he has tuberculosis, so he passes out on the side of the road. Well... A young man was coming along one night. He was a real estate man. He'd been working late, and he, his headlights hit Ed on the side of the road. Ed was so small, he thought it was a boy. So he pulled over, found Ed passed out. He actually thought he was dead. He wasn't sure. So he loaded him up in his old truck. This 1918. Takes him to the doctor. Well, the doctor, now, this doctor's diagnosis, you can find this right in the museum in Coral Castle. It tells you. The doctor diagnosed him, and he said, he is eaten up with tuberculosis. He has four to six months to live, no longer. And when Ed told the story of walking from Canada, the doctors were just shocked. They said, I can't believe that you were that strong that you made it. Well, what happens now is the real estate man takes Ed into his home, feeds him vegetable soup, kind of gets his strength back. And, you know, he tells him, he said, you know, Ed, the doctor said you only have six months to live. What do you want to do with your time? Ed said, well, do you have a junkyard around here? And the guy said, a junkyard? He said, yeah, I need a junkyard. So he goes to the junkyard, and he starts collecting all these old tools up, and the real estate man puts it in the back of his truck. He rides out to the end of the edge of the, of the county there. This was in, in Florida City. And Ed says, pulls out his, his witching rod to, to douse, and he said, I want to douse around here. So he starts dowsing, and he also finds this old bicycle at the junkyard. Now, the bicycle had no tires on it. But he didn't care. It just had wire rims. Well, he started riding around on his bicycle, um, and and he also took some old bumper cars, parts off of a bumper off the car, and cut them and put them on his shoes, on the edge of, on the bottom of his shoes. So he's pedaling this bicycle around, and he's dousing for water. Well, people call him Crazy Ed because they think, well, the guy's six months to live. What is he doing? <laughs> so finally, 
he runs back to the real estate guy one day and he says, I found the land I want. I found the land I want. And the guy said, what do you mean you found the land you want? He said, come, come and let me show you. Well, they drive out to the edge of town. There's this old farmer out there. And Ed says, sir, I heard you have wanted $10 for this land and, and I want to buy it. And the old guy looked at him and he said, son, he said, I'm telling you right now, this is the worst piece of land in Florida. You know, people were honest back in these days. He said, it isn't worth nothing unless you want to farm rocks. He said, I'll take $10 for it. And Ed said, well, sir, that's perfect for me because that's what I intend on farming is rocks. <laughs> and they kind of like, what? So Ed told his friend, he said, leave me here, come back in three weeks. Well, his real estate friend leaves him there, comes back in three weeks. Well, they look up. It was on a Sunday afternoon. He brought The man brought his wife with him. Ed had his shirt off. They looked out in the distance there, and here's this tripod of telephone poles. Now, the telephone poles were about 60 feet high. They were really tall. They had this chain hoist in the middle of them. It looked like a teepee. In the middle of this chain hoist, it's holding a 10-ton block of coral. Now, I try to explain to people what coral would look like. Um, if you ever take Rice Krispies and make those Rice Krispie cookies, you know how you flatten them out in the pan and yep. then you slice them? You know how when you slice that Rice Krispie cookie on the on the edge there, how flat and perfect it is? It looks like an optical type thing is cut so perfect because the Rice Krispie will crunch. Well, that's what this coral looks like. And this block of stone is exactly a square column, but it weighs 10 tons. Hmm. Now, it is dangling in the air, holding onto the chain, held by the chain. And the man comes over and his wife, and they go, maybe this guy isn't so crazy after all. Because you have to remember, down in Florida, the coral goes down 4,000 square feet. Okay, there's only about two or three, four inches of topsoil there in some places. Some places it's about two feet. So Ed had to pull that topsoil back. Well, how could he cut a block? In other words, if you're standing on a square piece of, of um, real estate, how would you cut the block out? How would you wedge, you know, how would you get tools underneath the block, much less to lift it up, much less, much less lift 10 tons with no equipment? All his tools came from a junkyard. Hmm. Well, they started asking all these questions, and, of course, it just said, oh, it's not too hard once you figure out the way. Well, they left him alone. A couple of weeks later, they look up, and he's starting to put walls around building this castle. Now he starts telling the story of how Agnes jilted him, okay? And he tells them, and they said, well, you know, why did you build it? And he looked out across the ocean, kind of got this melancholy, sad tone to his voice. And he said, well, he called Agnes his sweet 16 because she was 16. He looked out across the water there and he said, well, towards Latvia. And he said, one day my sweet 16, Agnes, is going to come from Latvia and she's going to marry me here at Coral Castle. He said, until she does, I'm waiting for Agnes. I, year, I looked for years and years as I was writing that book trying to figure out what kind of title. And um, a lot of people criticized me because I didn't call it, you know, Stone Love or, or you know, <laughs> the, something like that. And the reason that I did it like that was because that title was because um, the passion and the love. And a lot of people will tell you that started or that studied this story will tell you Agnes never existed, that Ed only invented her to um, cover up his scientific work uh, at Cole Castle. But but it's not true. He did love her and uh, he did have great passion for her. 
and it did drive him to, to build Coral Castle. And I tell people all the time, you know, if Agnes had never jilted him, we wouldn't have Coral Castle. Um, so he had to suffer for that. But in his suffering, instead of going crazy and everything, he decided to dedicate his life to, to build something. And he built it, you know, with the idea that she would come. And, of course, after years and years of waiting, people say, well, he wasn't really stupid. He knew she wasn't coming, didn't he? Well, of course he knew she wasn't coming. But that was his way of satisfying his um, dream that she might come. And plus the tourists loved the story, so, so he kept telling the story. And as he was building the castle, it took him 20 years to put it together. He started in 1918, and about 1938, he actually finished it. Okay, um, The stones there, average weight of the stones is twice as much as the Great Pyramid. Yeah, so for people that, that don't know about the Coral Castle, it's not just a castle, right? It's, it's like a modern uh, megalithic site, really, right? It, it, it is that, exactly. It is... Um, I could go into all these scientific things on, you know, it's like um, he, he said it at astronomical points. I mean, it, it gets so deep that, that we, could spend, we could spend here all night, and I don't want to, to bore people with the points. But, yes, it has all it's, – it's an astronomical observatory. Um, it's equal to Chichen Itza, the Mexican pyramid. Um, it's equal to Stonehenge, the Great Pyramid. Ed actually made the statement one time. He said, I understand the secrets of Stonehenge, the Great Pyramid, the Peruvians, the Incas. He was explaining to us that in this one place, he was designing the same idea, using the same things, and telling the same story. It's, Coral Castle is an astronomical observatory. Now, did he learn a lot of this stuff about ley lines and about how to do all this from his grandfather then, who was, who was traveling I, I through believe, all these sites? I, be or? I believe that it came from his grandfather. Uh, and, and this, this I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce something here. And I, sometimes I'm hesitant to do this because people will kind of think you're off your rocker. But no, not on this a, show. You can introduce whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll do a little Rod Serling stuff here. Yeah, yeah. But, there's, and, I, and I can justify this because a book written by Ray Stoner, which is called The Enigma of Coral Castle, and it is one of the best. It is so deep that I've had to read it about 100 times, and I still can't get all the points in it. But it compares Chichen Itza, Coral Castle, and the Great Pyramid. Okay? Was this guy Stoner just destined to write about big stones or what? I don't know. I have tried to, <laughs> tried to uh, find him. He, he's from Florida somewhere. But in 30 years, I've never been able to find him. I would love to sit down and speak with him because he actually shows you the connection of these pyramids, of the Chichen Itza and the Great Pyramid and how it relates to him. And maybe in one of the next uh, um, interviews that we do, I'll pull that book out and, and we'll go over some stuff for the people that, that are real, um, what I call uh, astronomical heads that, that love that kind of information. It's a lot of math and it's a lot of stuff, but, but you know, it fits perfectly you know, into what he's talking about. And then the first part of the book, and that's why I'm going to tell you, I, I didn't come up with this theory, mm -hmm. so don't blame me if, if it sounds crazy. <laughs> but in the first part of the book, Ray Stoner says, well, um, in all the thousands of years that have passed, man has looked at Stonehenge, Chichen Itza, the Great Pyramids, all of these things, um, and wondered what happened to that technology, what happened to that knowledge. Will we ever find the secrets that they found? And he said, yes, 
there is a place where we can discover those secrets, and that place is Coral Castle. Hmm. And he said there's three reasons that this knowledge may not have been lost. And he's talking about Ed. And he said, I'm going to describe Ed here. And he does he does three points there, number one, two, and three. And he said, number one, he's saying what he might have been. Not what he was, but what, just the possibilities. And he said he might have been an interdimensional traveler. And I thought about that, and I thought international traveler. Interdimensional, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Interdimensional, not international, interdimensional. And uh, then he said he could have been a time traveler. And then the last part he said, or he was an alien. Huh. And he does it, kind of look like an alien. Well, and there <laughs> is, if you look in the book now, I could, he does. He looks real strange. And, and you, when you see pictures of him, his fingers, if you, you know, we, we think about, we know the alien fingers look like they're long and they're strange looking. And his fingers look like string beans, kind of. They're, they're chunkier, but they're long. They're longer than his hand should be. And there is what some people claim, and I put it in the book, there is a face down there that looks very much like the alien face that you'll see in a lot of the rock formations, the old ancient rock formations in um, Chaco Canyon and all those European caves. And um, so, you know, sometimes I wonder, there was a story not long ago. Have you ever heard of the story of this star child that they found in the uh, cave in Texas? Have you heard that story? Yeah. Yeah, for where they, sure. Where they drilled into the, you know, into the head there, and that 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 child had a different head formation, and the eye sockets were round, and they were not as deep as the regular human. That you remember that part? Yeah, yeah, and it was kind of wasn't the skull elongated too? Exactly, but it was elongated, but it was round. It was more round than it was elongated. Okay, the the alien face at Coral Castle looks just like that star child. Hmm. So, how far are you from the castle? I'm about. I'm a long way. I'm about an eight-hour drive. Oh yeah, well that's not not a long way to me. I'm a. <laughs> I'm probably about a forty or fifty-hour drive. I would imagine. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. For you, it's a long, long route. But for me, when I was sixteen years, that so much time I spent down there. It, it was a long drive. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah. Um. He he. Ray Stoner really brought out that point. And, you know, people have asked me many times, well, how, like, Graham was asking me, where did he get the information from? I think that his grandfather, um, because his grandfather, if if you remember reading in my book, his grandfather actually found a book one time that he said he had gotten from Mayan priests when he was down there in Central America. And the Mayan priests used to call the the aliens, they called them star people. Mm -hmm. And, um... It showed he, – he had a picture there. He said one time that the Mayan priest had drawn him, and it was an alien coming down from the from the sky. And the next thing, the alien landed, the, the starship or the UFO landed, and these weird-looking creatures came out very much like the, the picture at uh, – the carving at Coral Castle looks like these alien creatures. And they actually handed these Mayans a scroll, and his grandfather believed – uh, the star people gave the Mayans and these kind of Egyptians and all this kind of stuff the actual documents and blueprints to build all of these uh, structures. Because if you notice, everyone you go to always has the same characteristics. So it seems like one race. How did the Egyptians and the Incas and maybe Ed at the same, not Ed, of course, did it later, but how did all these different races build the same monuments you know, at a different time. All over the world, yeah. All over the world, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. It's, it and, seems like he was, he, when he got there, he knew that that's what he was going to do. Like, it, it seemed like he had this in his head, like he had learned, uh, learned it from somewhere and he had to just put it in, into place. That's right. That was, that was his passion. And, um, you know, you see, when he came to Florida City, he goes ahead and he builds the castle and he finishes it about 1918, 1939. Well, then he, Builds what we talked about the earlier. We, he builds this what he calls a um, magnetic perpetual motion holder, and what it is it's a magnetic machine. It's about the size of a car tire, and it has a lot of magnets with copper wire wound around these magnets. And you start it off by spinning it. It looks like a roulette wheel, if you will, turned on the turned on its back, and you spin the wheel. And once you spin it, you put these magnets in motion. And what it does is it creates energy, creates electricity. Ed said electricity shouldn't be called electricity. It should be called magneticity because magnets are what make up our human body. It's what runs our muscles when we eat the food. The food is broken down by magnets, and that's what causes our muscles and everything um, to move. And he created this this engine, and he said, one day we'll put it in our cars, we'll put it in our homes, and you'll have free electricity. Well, he got all excited since this patent into the government office, well, they wouldn't give him a patent on it. Not only would they not give him a patent on it, they sent someone down to try to buy it from him. And when Ed refused to sell it, um, this is what the old-timers down there were telling me, um, a bunch of thugs came in and beat Ed almost to death. Now, he's in Florida City at the time. Well, when he got almost beaten to death, he packs up a whole coral castle. If you can imagine this, 1,100 tons of coral stone, all cut into chairs and all kinds of formations. And he hires this guy with a log truck, and he tells him, he says, pull up to my place at 7.30 in the morning. Now, this is in, in Florida City. And the guy said, what are we going to do? And Ed said, well, I'll feed you breakfast, and then we're going to go to work. So the guy, Ed, feeds him breakfast. Well, the man backs his truck up there, and Ed says, I want you to come back in an hour. The man said, okay. And when he came back in an hour, there were three stones loaded on the truck, this uh, long log truck uh, that weighed about 22 tons total. Now, he has no equipment. All his tools came from a junkyard, remember? And today, we do not have – people say, well, he had some kind of dozer or something like this. It is proven today that there is no equipment that can lift those stones. They've tried it. They have no equipment that can do it unless you take two or three at one time, put a chain around one stone, and pick it up. Mm -hmm. That's the only way they can pick it up. And this was back in 38, did you say? This was in 38, and he moved the whole castle one stone at the time. It took him a whole year, and he drove him right down the main 301 highway from Florida City into Homestead, <laughs> and he rebuilds the castle in Homestead. Now, there are theories um, that what happened was that magnetic ley line that we talked about earlier can actually be lost. Uh, an earthquake can change the uh, the structure of it or the movement of it or, the, or where its location. And they believe that some of the people who've studied it said he made a uh, surveying error and that the magnetic ley line was stronger in Homestead because he actually used to go up to Homestead and, and douse quite a bit. And they believe that he found a stronger line up there and was able to move the stones up there where, his, where the power was greater. Hmm. And that's why he actually made the move. I wonder if the procession of the equinoxes wouldn't affect that in some way as well. It, it does. It does. <clears throat> There's many things. The solar flares can affect it. Uh, 
it's it's a lost science that we really really don't quite understand and there's no really there's nobody like ed that's trying to pursue it like or, he did. or we don't know it in the in the white commercial world but in the black world i bet you they know it really <laughs> i mean, think so you mean you mean oh yeah yeah you I mean like i think they've harnessed like these people that come over to offer to buy this off him i mean yeah. how many other technologies have they actually been successful at stealing right it's very similar to this or or uh even you know, even knowing enough about what he did and built this, and they built their own, and uh, that could explain some of the you know latest oh. uh, UFO sightings or who knows what. Definitely, definitely. Well, and we had a conversation not long ago. Um, you you were you were speaking earlier about we you know we had done some um, some George Norrie shows, and there was a fella called Bruce Cathy. Are you familiar with Bruce? Yeah, Cathy? yeah. He did the ley line work way back, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's written a book called UFOs and Anti-Gravity. And yeah. Here's what's really weird. Have you seen that book? I've it's, heard of it, of, yeah. It's, a, it's out of print. I had to get it from an out-of-print house. But here's what's fascinating. Now, back during World War II, Ed had put up a copper wire structure up above Coral Castle. And when I say copper wire structure, it looked like a, a, you know, a fence line for cows. You know how it's got the squares in it to keep the cows from you know, getting out? Imagine that it was just a square box of copper wires that covered the whole top of Coral Castle. And people at the time wondered about that. And, you know, they they knew that he was from near Russia. And so rumors got to going around that maybe he was just some kind of Russian spy or something, you know. So the sheriff paid a visit to Ed one day. It was about 1942. And he said, Ed, I'm sorry to bother you. I know you're very private. But we've got to investigate this wire thing up here because people believe that you're a Russian spy and that maybe you're giving away America's secrets in the war and all this kind of stuff. And we want to find out what this wire is, harness up here, and what, what it's for. And Ed kind of turned red, and he said, well, okay, come on. So he took him back to the back, and he showed him this radio receiver. And he said he had figured out how to tap into the radio stations and get free um, a free reception, see, without without plugging the thing into electricity or anything, and so the sheriff just kind of laughed, you know, and he said, "Okay, no problem." So he turned around and told everybody, "Hey, don't worry, it's just a radio receiver and all that." Well, now when I found Bruce Cathy's book, uh, UFOs and Anti Gravity, in Australia and in New Zealand, the government there had actually this same configuration. And it was actually a receiver that Bruce Cathy and them believe that was used uh, to track for UFOs to track their 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 travel flight and stuff. And it was the same exact antenna apparatus that Ed had erected at Coral Castle. Hmm. The same configuration. So it makes you wonder. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. So this perpetual motion holder, is that what you called it, a perpetual per energy holder? Perpetual. Ed called it a perpetual motion holder. Motion, okay. What, right. What this, he said, Graham, was once you start the magnets in motion, the magnets in motion meaning the north and the south, you put them in, in chasing each other. That's what, that's, what, that's what electricity actually does. When you look at a wire that's going to your lamp, it's north and south pole magnets running along a copper wire. That's all it is. And he said, that my machine will run everything you've got until you break the circuit, okay? And he said, now, he died in 51. The rockets were just starting to come in. And he said, you can take my machine, put it in a rocket head, go out to Pluto and have breakfast, fly all over the galaxy, <laughs> come back to the Earth, 
for dinner that night, and you'll have just as much energy as when you left. Huh. And it never, never, uh, never runs out and never costs you a cent. Nothing. And actually, um, I knew some guys one time. I bumped into them at Coral Castle when I was down there, and they had actually taken. Now, there's a lot of parts that are missing off of Ed's machine because, like I said, it was robbed several times after he died. Uh, and they actually um, cranked the handle and did some things to it and put a light bulb, and, and they got a light bulb to burn. Wow. So did he make that after he did the initial castle? It seemed like... Uh, he was working on it, Graham, at the time that he was building the castle. It was like a, a hobby that he was working on, on the side. I don't know exactly the year that he finished um, the perpetual motion holder, but I believe he applied for the patent, in its, patent on it sometime in the 30s. Yeah, and then and then he moved the castle and that whole the whole thing. So so right. he wasn't really using that to build the initial castle, really. No, no. But now, um, not that he wasn't guy, using the same technology of some sorts, but not that actual machine. Right, yeah, right. And there, or now here's a strange thing. There are rumors that now Ed loved children, okay, and there are rumors that. Um, he allowed some children to watch him working at one time because th that's another part of Ed's personality that I forgot to tell you about. That's so fascinating. Okay, he actually had a sixth sense. He could sit in his room at night and he could tell you. He could look. Now he had a little um, quarters up there. Uh, it was like a block house made out of out of coral, and um, he would sit in his room some nights and the, the walls are white, and he would tell you that he could chase a mosquito off the wall just by looking at it. Okay. He he believed a lot, and he, he had really developed his mind to that to that point. He spent a lot of time together alone, I guess, and, he, and nothing else to do, you know. So Mr. Bullard asked him one time, he said, well, I, prove to me that, that you can move a mosquito. He said, okay. So they got in the room. Mr. Bullard said there was kind of like a candlelight kerosene lamp there, and there was a mosquito on the wall. And he said, Ed just concentrated and stared at it, and he said, a few minutes, the mosquito got up and left. Mr. Bullard said, okay, that's good, but how do I know that mosquito didn't just get up and leave as a coincidence? And he had said, okay, this time when that mosquito lights over here, he said, you count to seven, and before it gets eight, before you count eight, that mosquito will move. And they said, okay. So they did the experiment. So Ed stared at it, stared at it, stared at it. Mr. Bullard said, I got to number eight, and that mosquito left. And he said, I was like, oh, my God, I'm, you know, I'm convinced. And the reason that, that people believe he had uh, the sixth sense is because when he's first building the castle, everybody was trying to catch him because they said, how in the world can a guy live? One of those stones down there, the heaviest stones that he cut and moved, weighs 30 tons, okay? So people in the little town, you imagine they're farmers, and, you know, it's, it's not a sophisticated town, but they're very curious. So they're trying to low crawl up there at 3 o'clock in the morning trying to catch it at work because he would only work from 12 o'clock at night till 6 o'clock in the morning. That was his time to work. Hmm. And it was cooler, and a lot of people say, well, he used the moonlight and the gravity and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, these guys would try to sneak up on him. Every time he would stand up on one of the walls, look out there and say, hey, Everybody, I can't work as long as you people stay here, but I'm going to stay here until you leave. And he'd sing on the on the on the walls and you know all this kind of stuff. And they were like, "How did he know we were here?" And of course, it would spook them, and they'd turn around and leave. And after a while, they didn't even bother him anymore because they never could catch him. Hmm. 
Yeah, and let's not forget he should have died of tuberculosis a long time ago from a long before we got here. Yeah, we yeah. have that institution in Calgary here um, where all the tuberculosis people would come, like right above the river there. There's a, they say it's a haunted area now, but yeah, there's a huge institution and it housed like hundreds of people, maybe thousands with tuberculosis through that time. Oh, oh yeah, wow. that's at Our Lady of uh, Our Lady of something. Actually, I've actually done work in there. Really? Yeah. Fine? Yeah. So well, it's uh, you know they they knew that there was no hope, right? They they all they'd well, send send everybody to that one spot, right? Isn't that something? And, yeah. and I'm so glad you said that because that made me remind me. You got to remind me because I'll I'll be telling so many stories I'll forget to wind that one up. But now after he gets to the Coral Castle, remember he's only got six months to live. Oh yeah, right. So he puts the castle together, and six months passes, and he's still alive. Well, what he did was he cuts out this round circular stone. It weighs three tons. He even cut little stone pillows on it. He mounts it on the wheel bearings of a 1918 Ford Model A truck, and it spins. He can stick his foot out and spin it. Well, he gets in his, in his underwear every day from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock where the sun is the hottest. Now, he puts up a, a tripod of telephone poles like a pyramid. Mm-hmm. And he puts this blue piece of glass at the top up there. So as the sun hits this glass, it comes down and hits his chest. Okay? Now, remember the story that I was telling you about that he actually put iron soles on his shoes mm-hmm. and he and he drove around on the on the bicycle with the wire rims with no must with no tires? Yeah. Now, what he was doing was and, and I also believe um the magnetic motor that he made, okay? He hooks the magnetic motor up and puts a um like a wire to it to his to his pyramid up there, and he actually gets a current going because you know in the Great Pyramid, if you if you um, align it to true north, it actually forms an electromagnetic force inside that that building. You knew that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that electromagnetic force is what they believe the way he cured himself of tuberculosis because he goes back to the doctor after all the time he spends in that um, he spends on his um, round stone six months there in the sun and under his pyramid and and they believe that the friction from his um, iron soles and the friction that was generated from the bicycle riding around also created electromagnetic energy well when he gets back to the doctor the doctor is shocked because there's not a trace of tuberculosis in his body he's the only person in history that I know of that beat tuberculosis at that stage Yeah, that's fascinating. With no medicine either. No medicine. None. But he used to say, too, after he got cured, Mr. Bullard asked him, he said, wow, you know, nobody's ever beat tuberculosis like that. He said, how did you do it? And he said, Ed just looked at him and grinned, and he said, um, the guy's name was JT. He said, JT, he said, remember this, cancer and tuberculosis cannot exist in a pulsating magnetic field. Now, he used the word pulsating, and Mr. Buller told me one time that he actually had a little gadget um, on his magnetic motor that he had hooked up there to the pyramid, and it actually put out flashes of magnetic energy. It wouldn't be just a straight tone, but it would be like dashes, like dot, 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 like, like, um, like a teletype machine. And he said the breakup of that, he matched it to the heartbeat. And he said that's the same as your heart beating, pumping blood. Wow, 
So some, somehow not enabling the, the cells, the cancer cells or the tuberculosis cells to, to stay together or something like that. Exactly. And another thing that it does see is when you do that, when you expose the body to a pulsating magnetic field, it puts oxygen into the blood. Hmm. You actually create oxygen in the blood. That is a scientific fact. So you could get like a little electric magnetic thing for your belt and then maybe like not have to come up for air underwater? That, that's, yep. That's like possible? Like now? Yeah, yeah you could, you, if you got the right machine, you can um, create that pulsating magnetic field. Now, I have read reports, and especially in Sweden right now, when they cut a person open, that they 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 say, look, this guy's got three months to live or whatever. They actually cut open and go into the cancer cell. Let's say like it's it's big as a softball. They'll actually take a battery terminal and put north and south pole electrodes on it and and do that pulsating magnetic field. And they have actually healed a lot of people of cancer. Wow. And people don't know this. Huh. I bet yeah. you I'm going to read that in that book I'm reading You're, about yeah, uh, energy healing technologies. I'm reading this book right now, and they're talking about all kinds of stuff like that. I bet you it's going to be in that book. Yeah. yeah. It, it was. This is what's so fascinating about him. I mean, the guy figures out the secret of the Great Pyramid, the, you know, Stonehenge. I mean, he walks from Canada to Florida. He builds <laughs> a perpetual motion holder. He cures himself of tuberculosis. And the guys, except for people like you guys who are keeping the story alive, this is why it's so important to tell Ed's story to every generation. Maybe one day we'll wake up and realize what a genius he was. fascinating i was watching some stuff on youtube and they had uh, a little home video of i should i don't even want to say this i don't want it taken down but this guy from boston did a home video of the coral castle and he was saying that all the tour guides were feeding him lines of crap and they're all there to like sell this this uh, <laughs> part of the story that's not even true and he was in there looking at the perpetual motion holder and with the scientists and they were measuring it and it was it was like truly fascinating and and uh interesting how it's a museum now instead of a place of study to study this technology wow well that's 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 what it should be i mean and ironically ed said he was so tired of florida being you know florida was known for having alligator farms and you know 
scam scam artists and everybody taking your money. He said, I'm going to actually build something that's a scientific instrument that I hope people in, in course then after he died, they made it into like a, you know, like you said, like a tourist trap and everything. And when people go in there now, they tell the love story and, you know, the scientific part of it is lost. Maybe we could buy it. We should buy Coral Castle and we'll figure it I, out. I wish I wish we could because, um, you know, of course, there's a lot of humidity down there, but all his tools and stuff are rusting away, and they don't even. I mean, I would take cans of WD-40 at least and go in there and you know spray all the stuff and everything because it's even the door. The door when you walk in, there's a there's a solid iron door with the the way and Ed carved this the way the sun, the way the Earth revolves around the sun, the correct manner. He said, our scientists have it wrong. He actually drew the correct way that the sun revolves or the earth revolves around the sun. I, I'm not an astronomer, so that doesn't make any sense to me. But that that uh, iron door uh, etching that he did is fading now. And one day we want him to be able to read it, and they don't even bother to paint it, you know? Huh. So what time was this uh, compared to Tesla? Like, he, he was around... Uh there, there was some overlapping time there, right? I should, I should know this. But. Oh, Tesla, yeah, Tesla. My God, you know, people asked me one time if you could get two people in the room together, who would it be? <laughs> yeah, and of yeah. course, it's Ed and Tesla because I believe Tesla died in '45. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, Tesla had that car. Now, if you go back and and look at the um, In Search of documentary done by Leonard Nimoy in 1978. You will actually see, and I believe that that um, that um, particular episode, someone put it on YouTube. You can tap in and look at it, and they mentioned in that in search of episode, and that's where I found out about Coral Castle. Um, Tesla had a car, I believe it was 1930 Chrysler, uh, going 90 miles an hour with with uh, a machine like Ed built. Hmm. Did you did you remember that? Did you know that? No, I I, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. He, Tesla actually took his cousin out. He went to a barn, opened the doors, and here's this beautiful car. And he took out. Um, you know how when your old grandmother's silverware, they had that wooden thing that you put your silverware in and it had velvet lining in it, and yeah, that's where your silverware was. Yeah. Anyway, he took out a box like that, and he had tubes in it. There was about six tubes, and he pushed these tubes. They say these tubes were about six inches long and looked like. Um, kind of like long elongated light bulbs with metal um, ends and little points on them, and he stuck these tubes in the in the dash of the car, and he said, "This is what uh, the whole starts the whole electromagnetic thing." And he had a big antenna on the back of the car, and he said his cousin was sitting there, and they just roared out of this barn, and he said he took it up to 90 miles an hour, came back, put it in the barn, and pulled out those tubes, and that was the last he ever saw of it. Wow. Huh. So, yeah, Tesla and Ed together would have just been phenomenal hmm. because they both had the same idea. Tesla wanted to give away electricity also, the same idea that Ed had. Yeah, they both seem to have very uh, nice, good good motives, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. And Ed's dream was that one day, you know, we wouldn't be polluting the world and we'd be having free. And, and he also believed that, that this was the secret to space travel. That's kind of where Elon Musk is trying to go now. He's going to probably end up, something bad's going to happen to him if he don't watch it with all this technology that doesn't require fossil fuels. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen a couple of episodes on him. The, the guy's amazing. That's, he's kind of like a, a, new, a new type Ed. Yeah, yeah. And, 
you know, but we can look to the past right now. Like I said, you know, how is it that a guy like Ed can come along, do all this stuff, and there's only a few people like, you know, like us talking about this thing. And, and, you know, we're certainly not uh, famous television personalities or movie stars. You know, but I tell people it's going to be the backyard inventor. It's going to be guys like us pushing these ideas that maybe some gearhead will go down to Coral Castle. I don't care if I ever get credit for for telling them about it or not. I would just love to see Ed's work be appreciated. Yeah, sort of come come to fruition. Yeah, yeah, because I mean. The, the stuff that's down there, like there's a telescope down there. There's a what, what they call a stone telescope. Now, if you can imagine this, imagine, I'll, I'll try to do this for your listeners, but imagine on the top of the Coral Castle wall in the north wall, there's a little pyramid, a little stone pyramid with a coffee cup, kind of like a hole cut into it, and it's at an angle, and it has a wire in it like a telescopic sight. These wires Ed put there. Now, when you go out 20 yards from the castle, imagine a stone block about 40 feet high going all the way up and it has a, a cut in it also imagine this it's like a it's like a scope on a rifle the the little pyramid on the wall there is the eyepiece and the stone telescope at the back back there is the second part of the eyepiece now these two holes line up and the wires line up just like a gun scope now at night the north star falls into that telescopic sight every hmm. night hmm now, this is something wild. Last time I was down there, one of the guys was telling me, he said, yeah, not only does the North Star fall into that telescopic sight, but, you know, if you're looking through a rifle scope, it's broken up into four pieces, right? You know, yeah. like a pie, when you cut it, you cut it north, south, and east, and west. So like, a, four, like a crosshair. Like a crosshair, exactly. Yeah. Okay, imagine this. Because of the wobble of the Earth, the North Star, even though it, um, it's stationary, it moves around, and Ed figured out how it wobbled. So every night you look, the North Star one night will be in one section of the pie, the next night, the next one, the next one, and it makes a complete uh, circle inside the scope. And then one night, it will be exactly where the crosshairs cross. Wow, I did not know that part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. So I wonder what night, what night that is or how often that is. That, you know... Graham, we could sit here. I mean, I, I almost hesitate to tell to tell that story because it's hard for me to describe it. You you got it perfectly. Thank yeah, goodness. well, we gotta we gotta listen. To, we gotta continue that on you know on another show with you maybe. Yeah, um, because there are so many things that are in there, um, like the nine ton swinging gate. Probably the greatest scientific achievement that he accomplished there was in the east wall is what they call the nine ton swinging gate. Now, what he did was he took a nine-ton block of coral. You know how a wedge of cheese is, or, or like a hammer, or like an axe, it's fat at one end, and then it gets slim towards the end that you sharpen? Mm -hmm. Okay, imagine a stone that looks like that, very uneven. It's about 10 feet tall. It weighs nine tons. Now, he cut that out, mounted it on the wheel bearings. He's always using the wheel bearings of a, of a truck or a car. He takes a Model A car, mounts this nine-ton gate on the wheel bearings of this car, okay? You can, now the, the gate doesn't work now, but used to, you could go down there, I was there when it happened, you could press it with one finger and the gate spins, okay? It's perfectly mounted 
on its on its gravity on its axis. Mm-hmm. He had to find the center of the gravity. He drilled a stone a hole down from the top, all the way down, and he ran a rod down it and connected to the wheel bearings, hmm. so that it will spin perfectly. Now, here's something wild. Yeah, and it's kind of crooked too, right? It's not even it, perfectly cut, so he had to it, like it's kind of like all oblong and. It's exactly. It's very uneven. Now, in 1986, the wheel bearings broke on the right end, and the gate leaned. So the organizers of Coral Castle called the University of Florida, and they said, hey, they said, we've got this gate down here that's broken. Can you come fix it? They said, hey, we're engineers at Florida. We can fix anything. Well, they drive (laughs) down there, guys, and they look at this thing, and they're like, I mean, they got PhDs all over the wall, and they're going to find the center of gravity of the stone so that it would be perfectly balanced, we'd almost have to have, well, we would have to have laser technology. We're not sure that we could balance it that perfectly then. What he did there was they just said, we, we, it's impossible. We can't figure it out. And they got mad and went back to Florida. You need okay? to make it semi-buoyant somehow. Yeah. Well, and that's the technology he uses to lift it, right? It kind of... And that's how the center of gravity is probably easy to find when you're lifting it up with this. Yeah, it would naturally orientate itself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Hmm. And yet, you know, like they said, how did he lift it up and how did he drill the hole down there with no electricity? He had to drill the hole, see, down that coral shaft. And the hole had to be perfect because if it was off one little hair, the rod wouldn't go all the way down to meet the bearings. Well, here's what's wild. In 1986, they bring in two... 18-ton cranes, I believe it was, hooked chains around the stone, actually lifted it up. Well, at the bottom of this stone is another stone about the size of a car tire and about three or four inches thick, and it's got this grayish-looking material running through it. Well, they wondered why would he have set the car wheels on top of this little stone, and how did it support nine tons? What was the purpose of it? Well, a piece of it broke off. Well, they mailed it to the University of Florida Geology Department. They said, can you study the stone because it supported nine tons and we can't figure out why it was there. Well, the geologists at the University of Florida studied this stone. Of course, there again, they're scientists. They don't want to speculate or they don't want to get in trouble and lose their job. They said the materials in this stone cannot be found on this earth, but it is not a meteorite. And then the last word they said was, origin unknown now that stone is still that piece is still at coral castle in the glass museum with that saying on it material of unknown origin origin. and nobody wants to talk about that no no nobody so there's so many you know if you go down to coral castle and and you just go in there with a tourist eye and you're not really looking for these hidden anomalies you're you're not going to see the purpose of what ed was trying to do and that was what he was doing was trying to wake us up that all these things that are around us you know you 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 got to study them you can't take it for granted can is it far from miami i'm trying to figure out how i could work that into a trip (laughs) (laughs) it's 25 miles south of miami that's it oh Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. I was in yeah. Miami once. I should have got. I wish I would have known about this when I was in Miami. Yeah, and you can get take, like lots of cruises leave from Miami. Yeah, it take you thirty minutes to drive there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's cool about Ed when he builds his his home there, 
he's not used to all these bugs. You know, we got all these bugs, and you, you don't have them in Canada, but we got roaches that look like B-47s, <laughs> you know. I mean, I've had them fly off my curtains sometimes. <laughs> my wife said, don't tell that story. You'll think we got roaches in our house. I said, baby, when you live in Florida, you're going to have roaches. You just, I mean, you know, they're going to be here like share and roaches. When the atomic bomb comes off, that's all it's going to be living. And uh, so Ed built this food catcher. And what he did was he took a box and put screen wire around it, okay? He suspended it from the air on an iron, um, like an iron, um, what I want to say, iron wire, iron cable. So that's suspended in the air. And he put a funnel on the iron cable and put tar around the bottom of it and filled it up with kerosene. Well, now when the bugs go down the wire trying to get to his food box, they drown in the kerosene. <laughs> so, I, wonder if I'd, own, I wonder if I'd trade the bugs for the winter. You would. You well. It just depends. You know, you, um, a lot of a lot of people love the winter and the winter sports. Now you get down to Miami. I mean, it's humid. I mean, see, I live up in North Florida. We still actually get freezes up here, so I can run a fireplace. I, I wouldn't live in Miami because it's too hot. But um, where we live, it, it's a lot better because you have. We actually have changes of seasons. Miami's fun to to play and everything, but. Um, it's even though I'm a Florida boy, it's it's a little humid for me, a little hot. Yeah, so you're on like higher ground, Florida. Oh yeah, we're up in. I mean, we're up in the hillbilly country. We're up in the, um, like you, I said, if you imagine Miami's at the bottom, we're at the top. Yeah, you'll be on the part that's still there when the ocean comes out. Yeah, when the ocean <laughs> comes, we will still be chasing our raccoons up in the trees here. <laughs> yeah. We're on high ground. Well, Florida's yeah. a pretty long state, right? Like, how long would it take you to drive from the top to the bottom? Uh, about probably, let's see, I'm only an hour from Georgia. So if I were to drive from Georgia, let's say the top of the state of Florida down to Miami, you're only talking about 12 hours. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, you could make it to the Keys in, say, 13, 14. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. And if you were to go side to side... On Florida, you're looking at probably five, four or five hours. So 13 hours away, they probably have quite a different accent than your close to Georgia accent, I, I suppose. Oh, God. There's, there's, <laughs> there are people who actually make me sound like I'm from New York, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's the diversity of life, you know? That's, that's what makes life interesting, you know? So... Um, like I said, I used to go into to New York and I'd be doing book signing or, or whatever. And people would look at me and go, you, what part of Texas are you from? And I say, my accent is what Ed would have probably heard when he first landed in Florida, because it's a native, this is our natural Florida accent. Mm. Hmm. So, um, yeah, Ed would have, and, and it, now you got to remember he was from Latvia and he learned to speak the language pretty good, but, um, a lot of times Ed would go to the movies and he would ride his bicycle. And, and I love this about him. And they said, you know, at night he'd see him coming by on his bicycle. And I can imagine him, you know, in the movies, you know, 1924, 25, 20. And actually, a funny story. You guys are radio guys. Uh, do you remember the War of the Worlds? Okay, Orson Welles? Yeah, of course. Do you, course, do you remember yeah. 1938? Okay, well, you know, a lot of people. I wasn't there for the original, but. Yeah, but you know, there was a lot of people who were listening to the radio that night who freaked out that, that the um, Martians had actually landed, remember? Yep. Okay, well, that actually happened to Ed. See, he, in fact, I forgot to tell you this, but in one part of Coral Castle, on the east side there, he's got what he calls a planet wall. 
Now, on the planet wall is a um, a stone replica of Mars, and he put a little air plant up there. And when he was giving a tour of Mars, they'd say, well, why is Mars up there in the air plant? And he said, well, I put the air plant there because I'm telling you guys, at one time, there was life on Mars. Well, everybody around there freaked out and kind of started calling him a little Martian. You know, hey, I wonder if he came from Mars, and everybody laughed about it. Well, that night that the Martian show came on, he was actually – he had his radio tuned in. He was listening to that Orson Welles show, and um, in the middle of it, he heard all this commotion and stuff and looked up. And Mr. Bull was telling me there was a lot of people that had kind of panicked and were running – on the sides of Coral Castle, there, of course, there was a dirt road at the time, and they were heading to relatives' houses and everything, and he, Ed stepped outside to see what was happening, and they said, get out of here, get out of here, because we've heard the Martians have landed, and then one guy looked at him and said, hey, maybe he's one of them, you know, and <laughs> Ed said he got kind of scared, you know, and he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm okay, you know, and he kind of ran back into Coral Castle, locked his iron door. And, uh, you know, later on, he was laughing about it, but he was a little bit scared at first because he had that reputation of talking about Mars, see? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it he, just, nowadays it's just a matter of time, I think, till we find out that, well, life obviously doesn't, I don't think too much life is existing now on Mars, but it's, I think it's going to come out sooner or later that life did exist there in some capacity. Well, isn't it strange? Now, think about this. We talk about Ed as an amazing character. Okay, but think about this. He tells you in 1918, 1920 that there's life on Mars. Who was thinking or talking about that at the time? Now, you notice if you're watching the news, when the Mars rover landed on Mars, it landed in a riverbed, an ancient riverbed, a dried-up riverbed. Now, they sent a little robot thing down there to drill into it, sent the samples back. Well, in that dry riverbed, it wasn't just water. They said it was sweet water. Sweet water? Sweet no, water. What, what do they mean by that? What they mean by sweet water, meaning that it's drinkable. Oh. Huh. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, when you're drilling for water, like we just drilled a well not long ago, um, down here in Florida, you know, you hit sulfur water, which is terrible. You yeah, can't right, drink it. Right. Yeah, so when they talk about sweet water, they're talking about it wasn't just water that would have been, you know, bitter or this or whatever. It was actually what they call sweet water. Huh. So I wonder what I you mean, could sell a bottle bottle of uh, Martian Mars, water. Mar oh, Martian could you, water. For could you imagine if you could tap into that? <laughs> if I could get like the Kardashians or some shit drinking that, <laughs> that'd be it. I wonder if we could just go get that in the mountains here and just call it Martian. H2O water. Mars. H2O Mars or Martian oh, Martian H2O. We should start a Kickstarter. Yeah. Martian would... water. We just need like six, what do you think, like 10 billion? Oh, I, my God. I could just go up there when I my, I'm, I applied for that Mars One thing to, to be an astronaut to go to Mars. So we'll see. Maybe I'll go up and start that. Send back the water. I'll, I'll run things on this end. <laughs> I'll stay back here with you, Dan. You don't need any money on Mars. So. <laughs> you don't need any money on Mars. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I just – to me, the Mars rover, they should have they should have put a plaque up there to Ed um, saying, hey um, – and I, and I started about – I haven't actually gotten into doing a blog yet because um, – uh, I hadn't really had time, but I'd kind of like to start a blog um, and call it Coral Castle. 
uh, and then say a Martian has landed. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. You can uh, you can always blog uh, for us if you'd like. <laughs> yeah, really? Do, yeah. do you guys have a blog? Uh, we have a few people blogging on our website, yeah, just starting to get some more people here. So. Yeah. Yeah, are I, you, uh, are you uh, we didn't even talk much about your your book really. I feel I feel bad about that. Well, that's okay. It's um, you know, I sell it. Um, I have a website. It's called um if your listeners are interested, it's called uh joebullardbooks.com. And I sell it off the website. It's also available on amazon.com. Um if you buy it from me, you know, I can autograph it for you and send it and everything. And um, you know, I, I also I don't mind giving out my telephone number. Um, if you want to call me, you know, I'm here sometimes, sometimes I'm not, you can leave me a message, but, uh, my area code number in the States here is, uh, three, eight, six, four, three, eight, eight, five, one, two. So a lot of people just call me and we, we do just like you guys are chatting, you know, three hours later we're, you know, they order a book or they don't, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's important, I think, to remember, um, people like it because we we just we're probably not going to have another character like him and um maybe next time when we do a show we'll actually uh take a look at the book and talk about some of the aspects that he encountered as a child because um some of the dreams and stuff that he had that mr buller was telling me about um were i mean just that's why he didn't he didn't tell too many people about those. He became close to Mr. Bullard because Mr. Bullard had a gas station there, and Ed bought all his favorite foods, which was sard. It was very simple. He bought milk, sardines, and saltine crackers. And he came to trust Mr. Bullard because Mr. Bullard never asked him, you know, how you built it, why you built it. He didn't bombard him with a lot of questions. And Ed really opened up to him over the years and um, told him a lot of the stories that he never told anybody else. So I feel like. I was very fortunate to catch Mr. Bullard died in 1996, and uh, I don't think he talked much um, about Coral Castle after that, after the interviews that I did with him. And he was probably as close to Ed as anybody that uh, I ever interviewed. And so, um, to me, being able to get that information and that personalization that that Ed actually spoke with him um, was was fantastic. You can see I've I've been doing this 30 years, and I I, I still have never lost the passion for um, for what for what is Coral Castle. And in fact, um, I was talking with is it, is it Dan? Uh, Darren. Darren. I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm saying Dan. Uh, my phone sometimes it's hard. It, things get blurred if it's Darren or Dan. But but Darren, um, I was telling Darren that Graham that I I thought about actually one day. Um, maybe taking a trip up to Coral or to to Canada, trying to find out where Ed was uh, in those lumber camps and redo the walk that he did. You know, walk from from Canada to Florida. I'm 62. I'm not sure I can make it. Ed was a lot younger when when he did it. But I wondered if we could raise awareness. You know, maybe we could get people in Canada excited about it, and um, you know, maybe you guys could interview me on the radio, and we could uh, get something going about you know. Um, walk across Canada or, or do something oh, that, yeah. that, that um, you know, to, to, to show people what we got here and um, maybe, maybe draw some interest in it. Sometimes you got to do something crazy to make people, you know, pay attention to what you're, what you're pushing, what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. We could have you on uh, regularly throughout your journey. 
Yeah, and if yeah. you can't if you can't do the walk, you could always get one of those like segways. Yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what's funny? I bought an old Volkswagen. Okay, it, my wife said it's so ugly she won't let me park it in the yard. Okay, it's a 1981. It's a diesel. You know how many miles it's got on it? And this is the original motor. 1.2 million miles. <laughs> Those are pretty simple cars, eh? They've got that yeah. whole simple heating system. Like, everything's very simplified. I'm an, yeah, eight, and it's, I'm an 81. It's, yeah, and it's diesel. <laughs> so I'm thinking about having my wife driving, and if I get tired, you know, I'll just... But I thought the, the uniqueness of it, I thought about trying to get a hold of Volkswagen and see if they would, you know, buy me some gas or sponsor me or something yeah, like or, that. Or so, paint, paint it like a piece of coral, like a coral stone or something. So you're yeah, expecting okay. your wife to drive the car that she won't let you park in the yard? <laughs> well, <laughs> that could I'm, be working, tough. <laughs> I, I'm working on that. I haven't got her there yet. And plus, it's a five-speed. She can't drive five-speed. So I may have to get one of you guys to drive me around up there. But uh, I thought what would be unique about it was you know that it's diesel it gets 60 miles to the gallon okay and uh so i thought i was going to get sponsors maybe put you guys name on there you know charge ten dollars for everybody and put names on there as i'm going along there for like an advertising billboard or something you know yeah that'd work like I like put um you know like you said kardashians on there and, you know <laughs> and uh, as we go around and the, with the cameras focus in people would people would um have their advertising on there so I wonder if, if he was uh, dowsing up here in Canada, because apparently in Calgary or close to us, there's an a intersection of uh, ley lines. So maybe maybe you should incorporate that in your journey, right? Find well, I, just was, I was going to try to, to, to bone up on my dowsing skills and do that, because I think he was dowsing in Canada. I'm sure he was. As he's walking along, he was not wasting his time. He was definitely dowsing. If he had found the right spot, he'd have built Coral Castle in, in Canada. Except he's like, fuck, there's too much snow up here. I got to get down and find, I got to get down south and find a place. Then we're doing Bedrock Castle, like uh -huh. the Flintstones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what it feels like when you go in there because the whole, the whole castle is open air. And uh, except for his tower there, it, it has a roof on it. And it's, oh, it's so beautifully done. You, you, you think of it as being very primitive, but um, it's actually very, very beautiful. And those stones, I mean, it's just... When you when you're there, you feel like you're walking on the moonscape because that stone is gray, and it's. Um, I imagine if a fog were to come through there, you would think you were in the twilight zone. Yeah, if anybody's interested, there's uh, just Google Images Coral Castle, and and there's a lot of good pictures, but they probably don't even do it justice, really. No, no, you can you can get an idea of Coral Castle from looking at it, and I also have a YouTube uh, video called uh, Mystery at Coral Castle. If anybody wants to uh, tap into that, just tap into Joe Bullard at YouTube, Mystery at Coral Castle, and I actually take you through there uh, and show you a, a tour of it. But until you stand in front of those stones, I'm telling you, you guys, with the passion that you have for the story, and, and I tell people, you know, my dream and my goal, um, and I've, I've, I've been close to getting a movie done um, I actually had um, Robert Downey Jr. Look, I don't know if I can put this on. Uh, I guess I can tell it, but uh, he looked at our screenplay and, and turned us down. Uh, he did another Transformer or Iron Man, which I, I can't blame him. Those are great shows. But I'm hoping that one day um, someone like a Tobey Maguire or a Leo DiCaprio or someone's going to see this story because I can't believe that uh, it wouldn't just make a fantastic movie. So what my goal is, is before I die, 
I'm going to still fight until I get that movie. So if yeah. you guys are younger than I am, so if I die, you guys carry on the torch. Okay, I'll send okay. you the screenplay. <laughs> And you, uh, okay, I'm not giving make, up on Robert Downey. Maybe he'll go from Iron Man to Coral Man. <laughs> yeah, he he would have been fantastic in that role. And really, my if I could pick an actor, it would be um, Leo DiCaprio because he's the same size, the the hair that he's got. What about that little uh, what's his name, Michael Sarah? Yeah, kind yeah, of sickly looking. <laughs> Yeah. He might be yeah. too tall. I don't know. Yeah, you've got to have someone pretty much Ed's size. Yeah. Now, of course, um, Leo DiCaprio is, is, is way too handsome. But, you know, in Hollywood, they don't care about what Ed looked like. They just they want to sell the movie. And if you get somebody like Leo DiCaprio or um, what's another guy, the guy that did Seabiscuit that I like, um, the little jockey. I can't remember. He did Spider-Man. Toby McGuire. <laughs> yeah. Somebody like that that's kind of smaller frame. Uh, I just I believe it would be a killer movie because there is you know in Hollywood they talk about redundancy you know we've seen all these movies in Spider Man Batman and all that Ed was actually and I had a kid tell me one time when Harry Potter was real popular he told me he said Ed is the real Harry Potter isn't he and I said son that's a great way to describe him he was a real wizard huh what about Martin Short he could do it he'd be good yep. like that Ed he does that little Ed Grimley guy <laughs> yes. Yeah, I hadn't thought about him. Yeah, yeah. Anybody in that in that um, in that that genre could could pull it off great. And uh, you know, oh, in fact, I was telling Darren Graham last time that what I want to do is hope. In fact, I looked it up on the internet. The Toronto Film Festival was last week. Ooh, that's tough. That's I, tough I was to like, swing. After, after Dan and I talked, I got so excited, so I pulled it up on the internet, and the Toronto Film Festival was last week. But I thought maybe next year we can plan it at this time, and I'd try to do the walk, and we'd walk the uh, screenplay to the Toronto Film Festival and see if they'd throw us out, you know? Yeah, drum up some uh, some media presence on the way there, and yeah, that'd be good. Hey, you know, I hadn't thought about it. I could dress up in an alien costume and walk along there. I don't know. That might not go over very well. <laughs> I just thought about that. Can you imagine me in a green alien costume? It, it um, would get it would get some attention. Yeah, with a screenplay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I meant on the walk when I'm going. You know, oh, the whole walk. Yeah. Yeah, oh, the whole geez. walk. Not yeah. not at Toronto. No, oh, okay. They would kick me out there, but yeah. I was thinking, as I did the walk, you know, somebody's certainly going to go by there and take a picture of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would get some publicity. Hey, because that would be our theme, A Martian Has Landed. At the Coral the Castle. Mar yeah, the Martian yeah. walked from through through uh, through um, Canada. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, we might work on that. You guys find me an old uh, alien costume up there somewhere. <laughs> There's a costume rental shop here, but you're going to want to make sure you're walking in the summer. Otherwise, you're just going to cover up your costume with a parka. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, well, you guys have to tell me when, when the summertime would start and when I could, you know. Yeah. Starts in July and ends in August. <laughs> oh, my God. No, it's not quite that bad. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, get we talk about uh, recording from an igloo up here in Canada just for for shits and giggles. But... Yeah, yeah. But but it's uh, the 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 time I was up there I was I was there during the, the snow and the cold but it was beautiful country I I was quite impressed with it um, and the size of it man it's huge I was thinking I, I wouldn't be able to walk the whole from the top I know I'd have to go in a, from say you know somewhere that was closer to the border with with the states 
wouldn't you think? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you'd want to stay around the, the the border, which is where most of the population is. Like, if you take the the highway one that goes all the way across Canada, it's fairly close to to the border. Yeah, like yeah. maybe or even from like Minnesota there up through Winnipeg and down to Toronto. That's still that's still that's probably about the same drive or so, if not maybe a little longer than driving from. No, I think that's probably twenty four hours. I would say twenty five hours drive. Do you think that – because, you know, every time I do one of those core, um, shows with Nori, I get so many calls from Canada. I mean, I'm not kidding you guys. I think there's more interest in Canada on Coral Castle than, than we have in the States. That's why I thought – I think we could probably generate – don't you think we could generate a lot of interest by doing a walk like that or by doing – letting people know that maybe talking about Coral Castle, you know, the whole thing and – you know, in other words, let it be the topic of, of water coolers around there, you know, like yeah, hey, yeah. You see that crazy guy walking through there. What's oh, yeah, for happen? sure. Yeah. 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 Down. You definitely want to do it down around southern Ontario because out west here, the, the, there's big cities like we're in a big city, but like it's pretty sparse. Like you can go for a long time without getting to a town. Really? Yeah. Out west, it's pretty like Alberta is. I think there's only four or five million people in all of Alberta. Gosh. And over so, a million of them in, are in Calgary. Wow. Now, where are you guys located as far as the border goes? I think like, we're about three hours to the Montana yeah, border. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Pretty wow. close. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that would be doable there. I mean, maybe yeah. I could start out at your, your area. Yeah. Yeah, maybe actually we've got a we've got a listener in Latvia, so maybe he'll oh uh, pick up the book. Maybe he's related. Oh my gosh! See, that's my dream is to go back over there one day and um, just go in that country and just see. You know, that that's another thing that the, I, don't, I don't think the Latvian people they don't even really know what they have here. There there are several people who've traveled from Latvia, you know, to come see it. But to me, it should be. It should be an international place. I mean, it, it's just too important for us to to ignore for all these years. And, um, you know, I can't believe that, that Hollywood didn't do a movie on it 34. We should be doing about the fifth, you know, sequel on it right now, and we've never even done one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does have all the elements of a good movie. So yeah. if uh, – if we have our listeners in Latvia, you've got his number. We're going to put the, you know some email in the show notes and stuff. So get a hold of uh, Joe here. Line something up. Get him over to Latvia. <laughs> so um, uh, what else do you have going on now then? Like, do you have any other books on the go or, or um, what else yeah. are you working on? Yeah, I, um, I just finished a book. Um, this, this takes a, a totally, totally different turn from um, the scientific thing like Coral Castle. And uh, I just did a book on a, um, a murder mystery here um, that happened in my, it wasn't in my hometown, but it was about 20 miles from here. Um, but this happened back in 1952. And uh, the name of the book is called, in fact, I'll have to send you guys a copy of it. I think you'd get a kick out of it. It's, uh, you talk about real, real Southern. I mean, this is just, I mean, this gets right down to the basics 
Uh, the, the name of the book is called Belita Sam, and it's the story of a white doctor back in 1952 who became enamored of this African-American lady who was involved. In the, the Belita was um, an early runner of the lottery. And what you would do is you would go into a bar and you'd say, Darren, give me number one, two, and three. And you'd pay him like five bucks and he'd give you that number. Well, that was your number. You'd come back the next week to the bar and if that number was selected, you won the, the, uh, the Belita. They called it Belita. It's Belita is Spanish for, well, for a little ball. And they put the numbers on like little ping pong looking balls. Well, anyway, back in 1952, they were making $10 billion a year in the United States cash. Okay, so this white running doctor, numbers, I think they used to call it running, yeah. running numbers. When was that back in 52? They're making that much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they also called it Cuban. Yeah. Ten billion dollars. It was cash. And this it was such graft. It went right on up into Congress. I mean, I think Ike Eisenhower was the only one that wasn't playing Belito at the time. And uh, so this white doctor who weighs about 270 pounds gets in love with this black woman who's about five foot tall, 100 pounds. Well, anyway, uh, they're all involved in this Belita, and uh, she actually has a child by him in this little town and uh, called Live Oak, Florida. And um, so they get, in the, they get in a fight, and she comes into his office one day, pulls out a thirty-two Smith & Wesson nickel-plated revolver and pumps five shots into him and kills him. Four shots, I'm sorry. And uh, the trial and the story that comes out um, – goes all over the world because this was 1952 before you know there was any racially mixing and that kind of stuff and uh, when it comes out that she was burying his children and she was actually pregnant with his second child when she killed him and then when she goes to jail somebody pulls a jailhouse abortion on her makes her lose the baby and she almost dies um reporters from all over the world flocked into this little town and um it was one heck of a scandal and um, she is probably the only person to beat the electric chair for a murder charge at the time. And the mystery to the book is how she's able to beat the electric chair. So that, again, is kind of uh, based on based on real life events or based on a true story. This is all the only stuff that I do that I'm interested in is true life stories. Yeah, and you just kind of you kind of put your own twist on it just to kind of embrace the reader a little more. Um, no, not really. Uh, in this one, I, I told it exactly like it was. Um, you know, I went back and took the. In fact, the weird thing was uh, the reason that got me interested in the story was because as a child, I this is how weird this. Do you remember the book? Um, oh Lord, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, it was very famous. Okay, this book is the same type thing as that. Only the characters are more weird, more rotten. Um, the guy who was the state prosecutor who had to try Ruby was also in the Belita business with her. He was her partner, oh. hmm. and he had to try her. I actually worked for him as a child and didn't know how rotten he was. He was the kind of guy who would. Um, you know, embrace you and everything like that, and then find out if you had an insurance policy on your life. And if you did, he'd have you killed and have the policy written to him. Wow. Yeah, really nasty, nasty characters, but so charming. And that was what fascinated me about this story, um, because they just were at each other's throats. And uh, when she killed the doctor there, um, 
everybody just went into panic. Even the governor was had had the, there was a book written about the story at the time, and he had it booked. He had it banned. The only book in the United States that's ever been banned, and uh, that was banned. Of course, it was illegal to ban it, but back in those days, these guys were kind of mafias, and they could do what they wanted to. So, uh, no, in this story, I, I told it exactly what it was, and I was actually able to go back and interview some people, and I found out um, who caused the jet. What, my, what makes my book kind of sensational and why I've done so well with it is because I actually found out who caused the jailhouse abortion. Uh, there was a lot of money stolen from these black people, and I found out who stole it. And so I wove those into the book, which you don't find that out until the end. So that's what kind of hooks you to, to read the story. Wow, very cool. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. And also, if you pull up uh, JoeBullardBooks.com, I think uh, Belita Sam is also in that, the advertising for it. Yeah, yeah, I see it there on the website. <clears throat> and you guys send me a link, um, send me your address, and uh, I'll send you a copy of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and we'll, yeah. Uh, we'll send you, uh, obviously, a copy of this, too, and you can throw that on your website if you want. You're beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, so, this, is, uh, this is great. This so is great before to be we, oh, so we, before we wrap it up, I want to ask you, you've been at it about, you say, geez, almost 30 years yeah. uh, looking into Coral Castle. Uh, is the Martian theory the craziest one out there? Yeah, it's the craziest one. So and, what's, uh, what are, is there any, a couple other doozies you could maybe leave us off with? <laughs> I think the, the Martian is the craziest, and, and the only reason I mention it is because Ray Stoner is the one that started it. I didn't start it. Um, and when I saw that Star Child thing, I thought, what if Ed, What if there is some weird genetic thing going on? And maybe maybe Ed could have been a throwback or a, or a hybrid or something, you know, because, you know, you hear all these stories about people getting abducted and the aliens, you know, genetically implanting them and all that kind of stuff. And um, I used to kind of blow that stuff off. But with Ed, it kind of makes me wonder now, and, and I'm kind of not as bashful to speak about it. Like, this is the first time I've really spoke about it to you guys because um, I've been thinking about it a lot. And it's, um, I, I guess if you say, you know, leave me with something else, but what I would leave you with is the mystery of where did Ed get this information? Yeah. How? Did he know there was life on Mars? How could he have spoken in 1918, built a replica of Mars, put a, an airplane up there, and then told people in that little town, guess what, guys? There was life on Mars at one time. Where yeah. did he get that information? How? Yeah, and, and how did he heal himself? I mean, there's a lot of pretty genuine mysteries here. How did he heal himself? Yeah. You know, why aren't we pursuing that machine down there? Why have we let... Almost a hundred years go by. Well, let's see. He died in fifty-one. You know what? Fifty, sixty, sixty years go by that we're still on gasoline when we could be. There's so many things, guys, that we could be doing from Coral Castle. So, your show tonight, to me, is a discovery. Um, we're, we're telling people out there, hey, man, get involved. Let's get this thing going. Well, I'm glad you feel comfortable about opening up about all that stuff. That's one of the reasons why we do this show, because we want to be able to talk to freely talk about whatever we want like that and uh, and not yeah. feel judged or, you know, ridiculed or anything like that. That's one of my goals with the show. So that's great. Well, and, and I appreciate you guys attitude. And that's fun because you know what? It was a fun guy. 
He was a fun guy, and it's fun to think about. I mean, you know, how else do you explain the guy talks about life on Mars and the rover lands in a riverbed and tells you there's sweet water there? So these things are fun. They're cool. And, you know, we're not saying he's a Martian. We're, we don't know, but it's fun. Like the Twilight Zone, it's fun to go in there and take things and turn them upside down and look at them. Graham might be a Martian. Yeah. Hey? No, that's fun well, to do he that. He might become yeah. a Martian. Well, you know what? He's he's headed up that way. So, I mean, you know, if he goes to Coral Castle, he'll probably turn into a Martian. But when you go down there, there is an energy that you can feel. I will tell you that if I leave you anything else, you will feel an energy down there. He'll probably launch from somewhere in Florida. So, <laughs> yeah. <you> know, <laughs> yeah. Check it out. Cape Canaveral or something. So, I will um, tell you. One I'd, funny story. Yeah, he, sure. He used to put the, the iron things on his soles of his shoes. He actually had the, the uh, shoemaker down there take a car bumper, and he and he covered his shoes. The, the iron bumper uh, soles of his shoes are still down there. And he used to tell people that the reason that he did it on there was because he kept wearing out the leather soles on that rough coral. But a guy called me one day. He was so interesting from California. He said, no, you know why the reason he did that? I thought he was joking at first, but later on he said, no. He said, the magnetic line that Ed found in there was so strong, he had to put the iron soles on his shoes to keep from floating off. <laughs> <laughs> so if Graham goes down there and starts floating off, maybe we know he's related. All right. Yeah, I can't wait. So I want to, I do want to say, though, that this Coral Castle thing is a pretty deep mystery, and we've really only just scratched the surface, right? So there's a yeah. lot of little technical details we'll have to get into with you next time we have you on. Fantastic. Um, um, like I said, I appreciate the um, you guys uh, honoring me with this, and uh, it's always an honor to talk about it. And you guys are just fantastic. And uh, hope we can we can hope we can meet up one day. And uh, like I said, if I if I get ready to do that walk, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on you guys. No problem. We'll be here for you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we'll keep in touch for sure, Joe. And uh, and like I say, hopefully we'll have you on again uh, in a few months, and we'll continue the tale. That's great, man. This is this is fantastic. I'm, I'm bonded with Canadians anyway, and uh, so uh, maybe we can just uh, have a, a great international. You know, we we need to have better relations anyway. So maybe this is just the beginning of of something great. Well, that was our fascinating chat with Joe Bullard. What did you think, Darren? Yeah, it was good. It was great to talk about Coral Castle. Um, I've been pretty interested in Coral Castle for a while, so uh, it was nice to pick his brain. We met him last year at Paradigm, and it was a good chat. Learned a few new things, but most of it's in the book, which, uh, once again, I recommend people pick up. It's a pretty um, easy read. Yeah, there's lots of, lots of cool stuff about that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I feel like I'm always saying that, but uh, it does feel like we're on the kind of precipice here. See what happens with his little trip across uh, Canada. Yeah, maybe we'll have more from Joe and follow him uh, across Canada in his green alien suit. (laughs) So upcoming, we have uh, Karen Hudez. She's a whistleblower in the World Bank. Um, Pretty fascinating stuff. Goes pretty deep into all this financial stuff. It's kind of hard to follow sometimes, but... Should be interesting. Yeah, we'll have her next week and then the week after. Who did you book for the week after? 
Robert Sullivan. Oh yeah, what's he? What's oh yeah, the Mason dude. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, that's what you wanted, so we got him coming up. Perfect, and then uh, yeah, beauty, and sometime in there the uh, psilocybin episode will come out. Yeah. So, um, any feedback uh, we're uh, open to? Yeah, uh, Darren at Grimerica dot com. Graham at Grimerica. Grimerica dot com. G R A H A M. Yeah, and of course you can always get us on Twitter at Grimerica and um, uh, Grimerica on Facebook as well. All right, man. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's about it. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see. Oh, yeah, and of course, you'll have uh, all this shit will be in the show notes. Graham will uh, get that all together, as well as all the music that you heard in this episode as well. Okay, guys, thanks for listening.
from some ancient stone age is the work of Ed Leeds Callan, a 120-pound superman. Using but the most primitive of tools, he handles huge 15-ton pieces of coral rock with the greatest of ease. This is his life work, building a great stone city that he hopes will stand for thousands of years. He works as the ancient Egyptians did when they built the pyramids. The rock that serves as an entrance gate is so nicely balanced, a slight push will move it. But that's only the first of many wonders to be found in this strange place. Many and varied are the huge pieces, and one of the most striking works is a huge table carved in the shape of the Florida Peninsula. Here's further example of how he's balanced these great carvings. There's comfort in these rockers, too. Love was love even in the Stone Age, and we have a different version of a merry-go-round. Junior would sleep like a lamb with this five-ton crib. This project may smack of the Stone Age, but it has all modern conveniences. Maybe there's no running water, but Mr. Leeds Cannon has built in basins for modern comfort, too. And what's more, a bathtub, oh boy! She's sitting on top of the world or something, just where this unusual artist hopes to be when he completes his most ambitious of hobbies.